Hello, Lewis. Hello, Daniel. How are you? Oh, I'm uh, I'm pretty good. I'm I'm pretty good. I'm not in Victoria, so I'm better than most people uh, in Victoria. Well, savage. A savage way to start. Hello to our Victorian listeners and our listeners all around the world who are battling COVID nineteen. Yeah, we do have a lot of international listeners. Uh, big. Big fans of Australian politics all around the world. <laughs> Especially in Kiribati. Uh, thank you to our Patreon subscribers. We're about 50% of the way of making the costs of this podcast each week, um, which is great. It costs me about 1000 bucks a month plus gear and hosting to get it made. So we're about, we're about 500 bucks a month, which is great. When we get to about 100% of the cost, we can start paying Lewis some money each week too. <laughs> it's only been eight years doing this for free, slogging it away. How much money have you made since 2012, Lewis? Since in ever or for, no, oh, from, from irrational fear? fear. <laughs> ah, Dan. I mean, the the hours to to cash ratio is um, very not low. good. It's lucky I work at the ABC and I've already been beaten down. You could make you could make more working in a Columbaris restaurant, is what you're trying to say. <laughs> well, but, I mean, yeah, as long as I was. Uh, Getting paid cash, and I was George Columbaro. <laughs> uh, and then we can start paying our guests, and then after we can do that, we're going to be start to make videos and things like that. It's going to be a whole thing. And this podcast, in part, is actually supported by the Bertha Foundation as part of the Bertha Challenge. I'm recording my end of this on Gadigal land in the Yora Nation. Sovereignty was never ceded. Let's start the show. A rational fear contains naughty words like Brexit, Canberra, fair come. And section 40 A rational fear recommends listening by immature audiences. Tonight, bosses of Google, Apple, Facebook and Amazon face tough questions from the US Congress today, mostly about how to use Microsoft Teams. And former fire chiefs recommend to the government that the fossil fuel industry pay a levy to help pay for future bushfires. To which the government said, you idiot, fossil fuels don't cause bushfires, the burning of fossil fuels causes bushfires. And Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk announced that from Saturday, nobody from Greater Sydney will be allowed into Queensland. Sydney side has reacted by saying, You're right, we are greater! Irrational fear! Welcome to Irrational Fear, the show that's like Q&A on crack, though these days it's almost like Q&A is on crack. I'm internationally renowned bird photographer Dan Illich. Joining the panel tonight are a handful of hooligans, including a man who, not unlike me, found himself leaving America just in time to see the whole thing collapse behind him. Former host of HuffPo Live and current fill-in host for Afternoons on ABC Sydney, it's Josh Zepps. Josh. I don't blame myself for uh, for the collapse of the United States. I don't blame myself for Trump nor the pandemic, if that's what you're implying. But it is a little bit coincidental that you and I left the United States and the entire place collapsed. Uh, now we're doing the same to, the, to Australia. They need us, Josh. They need us. And she's an award-winning multidisciplinary artist, writer, comedian and performer and is most well-known as the author of the classic Australian poem, On Asses. It's Vijarajan. Hello. Vidya, would you yes. would you consider on asses your most important work to date? Um, it's my least recognized work and thus the one I think uh, I'll be remembered for, like all great art. Um, yep. And he's finally, he's one of the only presenters at the youth broadcaster who is worried about his franking credits. It's the young at heart, Lewis Hopper. <laughs> Oh my God, I wish I could care about franking credits. Is it? You know that I'm terrible with money. I would love to be able to um, worry about those things. 
I don't. I still don't know what they are. Uh, I'm not too sure either. Uh, can, can I ask you a question, Lewis? You know, young people are changing all the time. Uh, tell me. <laughs> what about, does that mean? Tell me. Young what, people are, are you talking about puberty? Culturally, <laughs> cult, culturally, like how do you keep up with the Zoomers lingo? Uh, well, Dan, the first step is to. Um, uh, stay off Twitter. I mean, but also we have um, people uh, full time uh, yelling at me. I get yelled at by the whole nation constantly, and so you just uh, sw- like dodging through the abuse. You learn a lot of um, a lot of language. A little later on, we'll tell you how you can become a sovereign citizen by joining the right Facebook group, and also we'll be joined by Leanne Minchel from the Australian Institute, who will give us a lowdown on how the government plans to make sweeping changes to environmental protection laws while we're all busy arguing over whether to wear a mask on public transport. But first, here is a message from this week's sponsor. What I like about Bunnings is they cater to everyone. Since the last time I was here, they've really changed their tune. Iconic aluminium hats, $10. 10 kilograms of scarcely edible long-life rations, $90. 500 milligrams of 5G blocking cream, $23.90. Personal weather station that never registers temperatures over 26 degrees, $80. One-hour consultation with our in-house QC on constitutional law, $350. If you happen to find a sovereign citizen who will sell it cheaper, we'll beat it by 10%. At Bunnings, the lowest prices are just the beginning of the new world order. They've really changed their tune, haven't they? Let's get in this week's fears. COVID-19 seems so much fun in March. Dare I say, it was a very novel, novel coronavirus. Oh, I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm leaving. I'm leaving. But <laughs> it's August 1st and the novel coronavirus is about as enjoyable as a J.K. Rowling adult novel. Here's a couple of things this week about COVID-19. First of all, uh, Melbourne is three weeks into its six-week lockdown for Wave 2, and yesterday they recorded their worst numbers on record, not just for Victoria but for Australia, 723 new COVID cases. I understand that Melbourne really leans into new trends, but just like man buns, this is ridiculous. Lewis, as a Victorian bred Mm. person, why has COVID-19 taken hold there as opposed to other places? Well, I mean, I've been keeping a track of this via my family and friends who are all in lockdown. So it is like, it's pretty bleak there. It's a, it's a difficult one. Uh, Obviously the real hit to me came when uh, the laws hit Geelong. Uh, Once something hits Geelong, it's, uh, it's serious and over. Uh, like you mentioned, Melbourne trends. There was a time where anything that's cool starts in Melbourne. By the time it gets to Geelong, it's, it's probably done. in Queensland. You know what I mean? People were really uh, tired. Actually, it is true with uh, with Corona. People were really tired of coronavirus by the time it got to Geelong. Yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, we should have just used the bypass road and gone down the coast. Uh, no, it's it's really it's it's pretty scary, and it's scary for the whole country, I guess, because it could have happened anywhere. I know everyone is getting very angry about. Dan Andrews about uh, one security guard who couldn't keep it in his pants. But really, like, that could happen anywhere. Why could it happen everywhere, anywhere? I mean, it was only Victoria that that decided to outsource the quarantine hotels to private security firms and recruit people to work there by hitting up former bouncers on WhatsApp. In New South Wales, they used the army and the cops. They tried to dodge Victorian responsibility. They let in a whole (laughs) boat of boomers, Josh. (laughs) And we succeeded. And we triumphed nonetheless. Uh, mate, this is cocky talk for August it, 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 in 2020. It, it, it's very dangerous. Vidya, you normally live in Melbourne, but you escaped to WA. Are you a coward? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, um, I would say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a free thinker. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a 
sovereign citizen. <laughs> I know. I mean, yeah, it's very weird being in WA right now. There's pretty much like people on the verge of secession. I mean, that's the constant state of WA, but it's right. really ramped up at the moment. You were talking about the Ruby Princess before, um, Lewis, and I thought if they just renamed the Ruby Princess to the Cotton Eye Joe, there would be far more questions asked about that boat. Like, where did you come from? Where did you go? <laughs> where did you come from, Cotton Eye Joe? Um, it, it is a great, like, it started off the the interstate wars were quite cute at the start when everyone mm. was, like, it really it really was a leveller. There, like, there, there is a hierarchy and, um, you know, we all know what it is and that's why people in Western Australia are always angry. Uh, but now, you know, we're looking to places that uh, like WA and Queensland and going, you know, it really is beautiful one day, perfect the next. I'm, I'm interested. It's enough to buy property in one of those states. Dan, if you start <laughs> paying me, I can care about these things. I will care about the franking credits. I'll learn what that is when you start paying me. We can go to, uh, if you want to help Lewis buy property in one of those <laughs> states, go to patreon.com forward slash irrational fear. The second COVID-19 related thing that um, was pretty interesting that came out this week was new research out of the UK and US that suggests that taller people have double the chance of getting COVID-19. Vidya, as someone mm. who is 165 centimetres tall, does this bring as much joy to you as it does to me at my 168 high perspective? Yeah, it feels like finally I'm being rewarded for um, peaking really early and being disappointed <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> I'm excited. Who here is uh, taller than that? Oh, Josh and Lewis, definitely. <laughs> yeah, as a six foot three Victorian, I basically have a target on the front of my head at all times in 2020. <laughs> it's actually good news uh, for short guys on Tinder. It's really the first time they've actually had a win. Like they can just be like, yeah. I'm not as tall as you'd like, but I will be alive in three years. <laughs> this article doesn't seem peer-reviewed, and I feel like if we dug deeper, maybe the scientist behind it um, is a very jilted short person. <laughs> <laughs> Irrational fear! Donald, you have the most beautiful hands. Your fear is rational. The second fear tonight, last week we were all forced uh, to watch a woman argue with Bunning staff about her right to not wear a mask at Bunnings. To refresh your memory, here is a bit of that confrontation. Sir, I'm just asking if you've got a mask. Well, it's clear I don't. Well, and you are not authorised to ask a... me or question me about it. Would you like to speak to the manager? Sure. I actually don't need a medical certificate if you refer you to the DH. No, I'm allowed to do this. That's and you're discriminating I'm not, against no me. We're all just trying to all be in this together. We're, we all have all to in what together? I actually don't. And you're not authorised by the Australian government to even question me about it. It's a condition of entry of our floor as, as a Then that's discrimination, and I can have you sued personally for discriminating against me. As a woman. We're not discriminating against anyone. You are. It's a condition of entry to all Bunnings. It's not. It's an unlawful condition of entry. Yep. Therefore, that exposes you personally and Bunnings to being sued for discrimination because it is in breach of the 1948 Charter of Human Rights to discriminate against men and women. We're not trying to discriminate. Could you please you stop are. filming? No, I'm not going to stop filming no because this is my evidence against you, you and Bunnings for discriminating against me as a woman. 
I don't even have to have this conversation with you because you're not authorised by the Australian government to even question me. As I said, it's just a condition of entry. I don't care. It doesn't apply to me. It does not. It does not because that's a breach of the Charter of Human Rights. It is unlawful and it is discriminatory and it is illegal. And I'm going to continue going in here and getting what I need. Please stop recording me now. I'm not going to stop recording you. It is my right as a living woman to do whatever I want. Yeah, right. <laughs> Lewis, you, you reacted to that as if you had never seen that before, but surely you must have. No, I listened to the audio, but I honestly, like, I can't really bring myself to watch this. Like, it, I can't. I know what it is. Like, we all, we went through this with Malcolm Roberts. Yeah. Like, we've been through this idiocy so many times. When a new idiot does a new idiotic thing, I don't. I no longer feel the need to like play with the yo-yo of this particular idiot fad. I'm kind of burnt out on idiots. <laughs> um, I think probably the most remarkable thing here is that she put this up and she thought she would come off good by putting it up on the internet. Um, now there are plenty of other things that are unusual about this video. Here are two things that I picked up th- that this person in this video said that made my ears kind of prick up. The first thing is. It is my right as a living woman to do whatever I want and <laughs> I can have you sued personally for discrimination against me as a woman. But here's the thing. I don't think that she, i.e. the woman, is trying to make a feminist statement here at all. It's something else entirely. Josh, what is she trying to say? She's a sovsit, Dan, a sovsit <laughs> that's not a type of acne. It's a sovereign citizen, she's a sovereign citizen, uh, which is a philosophy, an ideology, a kind of hard libertarian uh, conspiracy theory, which uh, in its loosest form basically argues that the institutions of state are illegitimate unless you consent to them and that the organs of government machinery are operated uh, with a kind of subterfuge that involves a tacit consent that comes from citizens who who hand themselves over to being subject to the laws of a country uh, and of some people argue the shadowy corporations that control uh, those laws and the argument is that, that those phrases that you're talking about like uh, as an individual as a woman and so on uh, are code words that the uh, the powers that be will understand to indicate that you do not consent to being part of their laws. So sovereign citizens, many of them don't believe that you that the government has a right to levy taxes on you. Many of them don't believe that the government has a right to require you to buy car insurance or have a driver's license to drive a car. They will regularly appeal to the 1948 Declaration of Human Rights, as she did, completely misunderstanding what <laughs> discrimination means. I mean, I often wonder, like, imagine if you told the authors of the 1948 Universal Declaration of Human Rights that in the year 2020, their charter would be being put up against the Bunnings store policy in Melbourne, (laughs) which was the more credible uh, charter to abide by. And the Bunnings guy is just going, look, this is just the rules we have. She's like, yes, but it doesn't stack up to the 1948 Charter of Human Rights. They'll also go back a lot to the Magna Carta, which is really turning back the clock from 1215 as the only true legal document that constrains arbitrary power on people. And so when you hear these things like, I do not consent or I'm a living being or I'm a natural being or I'm a man or a woman. Uh, that's sometimes an indication that you're in the presence of a sovereign citizen. What I don't quite understand is, is it's quite convenient that she's cool with almost all the laws that she has to abide by, like 
wearing pants, <laughs> but not the specific, like everything was fine up until three yeah. weeks ago, according to this vision of sovereign citizenry. But it's only now that there's this new rule that arbitrarily tips her over into being outraged about it. It seems quite self-serving. Like, would she rec- and what about the sovereign citizen rights of the owners of Bunnings to determine who comes into their store and who doesn't come into their store? It's not. I think I need to interview one of them, Dan, to fully understand. Surely she must understand that by going into Bunnings, she's back basically going into the government of Australia anyway. They run Australia. <laughs> I do like the idea of being able to um, choose your own laws, though. Like, I do feel like yeah. if someone gave you kind of like a hotel um, breakfast Mm. And you could just be like tax, no, driving <laughs> mostly but mm. not speeding. Yeah. You know, you could just go through and then and then you could just live your life according to the ones that you choose. It does mm. have some perks. If like anyone Absolutely. who like didn't tick murder, you'd be like, okay, well, we got to watch that one. Yeah, but, yeah it's really funny how these people come out um, at these times because like the Charter of Human Rights also says that you're supposed to um, let people have asylum in your country if there's <laughs> But uh, I, I haven't heard the sovereign citizen marches for that. Like, I, we just, should, I, I don't know if I missed that. Or we should definitely be all going into Bunnings and going. Why aren't you letting them off Manus Island? Yeah. Why aren't you? <laughs> have you any of you uh, ever tempted to pull the sovereign citizen card? Have you ever thought, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay this down? I think the closest I've come to this is like maybe being too drunk outside a club. Like, that's what it reminds me of. It's just like, you have to let me in. It's my right as a teenager. Yeah. Irrational fear! It's about fear and it's about survival. And our final fear tonight, 2020 is a bit of a crazy year. COVID-19 is a uniquely global trauma event that we've all kind of had to share throughout the entire world. But at the start of this year, we had to deal with one that was uniquely Australian. The Melbourne Comedy Festival was cancelled. Oh, and we had huge bushfires. And the toll on animals was completely devastating. At the start of this year, it was assumed that a billion animals perished. But a new report commissioned by the WWF, as we know, wrestlers have a soft spot for animals. They too find themselves on the ropes. And this report found this week that nearly three billion animals, mammals, reptiles, birds and frogs were killed during the bushfire season. Three billion. Now, if you, like me, earlier this year, you were probably riddled with anxiety trying to figure out, you know, uh, what you could do and much like Scott Morrison, you know, I can't hold a hose, mate. Well, the Australian Medical Association, they declared climate change a health emergency. This also brings about questions about mental health, particularly uh, around climate change, and they've coined this new term eco-anxiety. Not the best name, eco-anxiety. Um, to me, it's when you buy a laundry detergent that's good for the environment, but you're pretty sure it's not going to clean your clothes properly. Uh, I would have gone with something else. Fear mongers, what should we call this new anxiety uh, for, for environmental trauma, do you think? What's a good name? Because, yeah, yeah eco-anxiety just makes me think of, like, when you've forgotten your keep cup and someone judges you. That's, a, that's like, eco-anxiety, like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, Dan. It's all, it's all, it, three billion's not a good number. That doesn't feel like a good <laughs> no, number. No, it is not. It is, yeah. it is not a good the, number at all. No. The only, like, the only benefit to that is now when, like, uh, people from overseas are like, oh, I can't, you know, I can't come to Australia, man. Like, there's too many snakes. You're like, not anymore. No, you're fine. <laughs> they're actually, yeah. we, we burnt them all. We burnt them all. Uh, you but, it's safe to come. Uh, it's ho- horrible, but it's safe. Do uh, either of you three suffer? Um, climate anxiety? Do you, do, do you have eco-anxiety or did you particularly around the bushfires? Josh? I got it around the bush. Well, I was broadcasting 
seven days a week during the bushfires. I was presenting breakfast, the breakfast show on ABC Radio Sydney, and I was also um, presenting the weekend television show on ABC TV um, Weekend Breakfast. And so I was, I was, and I also have tod- twin toddlers. Uh, so I was basically delirious and exhausted and psychotic, regardless of any uh, national calamity. And when you <laughs> piled that on top, I must say I did feel like by the time we were into about our sort of seventh or eighth week of incessant smoke where the, the, you know, you couldn't see down to the end of the street and it was choking your throat. And I was having to constantly press the cough button in the studio to hide the fact that my eyes were watering and my throat was raspy and I could barely breathe. I was getting pretty bored of it. And I started thinking, how long would you live in a city or a country like this if this became something that happened every few years? And that started making me realise that uh, no matter how protected we think we are from the vagaries of climate change, no matter how rich you get or how insulated you might be in an inner city, at the end of the day, it's going to impact everybody. And that was the first moment where I felt like this is something that is that we're all going to be going through. And so, in in that sense, yes, it was a different it was a different thing for me. It turned it from being I'm a pretty chill out chill guy, so. I've, I have a certain sunny optimism that we'll figure out ways of not being such idiots about it uh, and be innovative. But that realization that this is going to become more of a, a norm and that before things get better, even if we do, even if we do a full 180 right now, before things get better, there's going to be a lot more experiences like that where we're all enduring something intensely uh, traumatizing was uh, yeah. confronting. Um, now, part of solving climate change is imagining a better future for everyone to strive for. Vidya, you've actually done some research on what the future could be like for the animal kingdom moving well, forward. Yeah, the animal kingdom and, and, you know, the humans as part of the animal kingdom. Um, I've just been trying to, you know, get people to really feel uh, how it could be. And I think any good messaging, you need to like speak to what people are interested in. And I don't know if you've noticed this in the last few years, people have just become obsessed with astrology. Um, Mm. Like you can't move for somebody like being like, what's your star sign? Um, No, I can't talk to you. We can't live together (laughs) because of that, Um, which is actually what legitimate ads on like rental network (laughs) Facebook is at the moment. But yeah, so I've um, devised a little future horoscope. So this is called... um, and yeah, when when yours, anyone listening at home, if your horoscope's called out, you know, just know that that's specifically for you. Um, yeah, so it's called Star Signs of Accelerating Climate Disaster. Aries. Ah, the ram. All rams will die. <laughs> Taurus. Ah, the bull. All bulls will die, except John. Gemini. The twins. While Mercury loves you, the rising ocean does not. Say goodbye, Glug, to both your chattery heads. <laughs> Cancer, beautiful crab, at home in the rising sea, yet food scarcity is a real problem. Malnutrition and accumulating enzymic toxicity await you this blessed quarter. Leo, what's a lion? <laughs> Virgo, famed for your sense of duty and being a giant virgin, you know better than anyone that fucking a puffer fish does not count as saving the species. However, these are the end times and there are few left to judge you. Libra. The scales are always balanced in your eyes, dear Libra. This is strange because everything has tipped past any kind of balance. Also, your eyes are bleeding. (laughs) Scorpio. Cunning, cunning Scorpio. Moody and intense Scorpio. Strong-willed and lustful Scorpio. You have many character flaws, and people are relieved when a new flood-induced vector-borne disease claims you as its first (laughs) victim. Sagittarius. 
Represented by the centaur. Half man, half horse. So much meat on you. Can you cook it? Share some around? People are dying. Give unto others this retrograde, you greedy lump. Capricorn. Wow, there's a lot of these signs. Practical Capricorn. Ever the pragmatist. We don't have to spell it out for you, do we? Dead. <laughs> Aquarius. The water bearer. Can't help but feel you're involved in all this oceanic rise somehow. Saturn is passing through your ninth house, and it's frankly disgusting you own so much property. Nine houses, really? When millions go wanting? Like, I don't know, maybe think about that. Pisces, my quiet and steady fish friend, calm and unassuming through all seasons, I will eat every last one of you. Empty the deep for the last of your kind. Scrape your bones for meat. Suck your tail dry of electrolytes. Mummy is very scared. The wind howls without end. Papa has been missing for months. Little baby has been coughing for days. Our dog was bitten by a mantabat, so we had to shoot him. Mummy said, no, don't eat him, but I snuck off a bit of his ear. My skin is still rough as sandpaper and not growing back. A music box plays under the sea every time the house shudders, and I wonder if I'm trapped in a joke. For some reason, I keep thinking of this particular red state politician busting out of his shirt, the sweaty pit staining his linen, but I can't remember his name, as if that matters. A woman floated by a little while ago and offered to do a tarot reading, so I shot her in the shins. Clean, two shots right through. I'm getting better at this. As she drowned, the water turned very red, and this made a nice change from the unending blue. I grabbed a sparkle scrunchie from the faded purple wisps of her hair, and as is custom, started to record her last words. My moon is, she began, like so many of the others, and I just turned away. I grow bored quicker now, I think. Yesterday, I stared right at the sun and let it lance my vision with pulsing dark spots, the occasional streak of white light, for a few many hours, perhaps longer, perhaps a lot longer. You just need something to do around here. <laughs> hey! <laughs> wow. Oh my that was, uh, that was wow. so good. But, and you know, Vidya, I, had to, I hate to tell you this, but it's a crock of shit because you could read any one of those and they represent me. <laughs> well, clearly, you know... I think you're going to die. That's basically it. While we're all running around trying not to get infected by COVID-19, the government is preparing to make big changes to one of the few pieces of legislation that is trying to prevent Australia from becoming a gigantic open coal pit slash sex dungeon. That's the Environmental Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act, or EPCPCUC. For short. Joining us now to tell us what the hell is being planned is Leanne Minchel, who is a director at the Australia Institute. G'day, Leanne. Hello. How are you going? Well, now tell us about the Environmental Protection Biodiversity Conservation Act. It's been around for 20 years. Yeah. You sent me something to have a read of this week, and you said that 5,000 things have been referred to the minister from it, 5,000 projects. Out of those 5,500 projects, only 12 have been refused and nine have been ruled out as clearly unacceptable. Now, I'm not a coal miner, but, like, to have 20-something things uh, knocked back out of 5,000, is this act, uh, I don't know, how do I put this delicately, a piece of shit anyway? Should it should it be just <laughs> completely replaced? Well, it's kind of interesting that you've gone straight to the approvals processes because that's also what the Conservative government does and a lot of people in the extractive industries and the EPBC Act to me, um, its headline news actually isn't about that. The headline for me is the abject failure that the Act has been. So if we go back 20 years, (laughs) it's not what you want to hear from someone you've never (laughs) met, but if you go back 20 years, this, this was supposed to really, 
you know, give a framework for the country and the animals that we love. And really, I think a kind of part of the Australian identity was going to have a way that we could develop the country in a way that everybody would prosper. So right from the start, we're kind of trying to negotiate with nature and uh, you're never going to win that one. And then to quickly touch on what's happened over that 20 years, while this act was supposed to preserve these places, I mean, take your pick of the things that have gone wrong. 19 million fish died in the Murray last year. Great Barrier Reef's been bleached. Did you know that 90% of other countries have less um, species extinction in Australia? So we're basically in the top 10%. If it was an Olympic sport, we'd be gold medalists. Damn. It's so interesting to see kind of the um, the recommendations for this report to be to kind of get rid of uh, a lot of the approvals process in in the in the in the wake of the review. It's such a, a, a almost a toothless kind of a bit of a policy anyway, and like w- to get rid of the remaining kind of approvals would be completely shocking, wouldn't it? Well, to be fair, Graham Samuel spent ninety five percent of the report outlining what was wrong and what could be better. And 5% of the report saying, yes, there's duplication. Um, And that's the 5% of the report that's been extensively reported on in the media. And, you know, fair cop to the media on this, I guess, because our Prime Minister stood up at the State of the Nation speech at CEDAR in June when this review was underway and said, we just want to make things faster. We want one-touch approvals. Everything's too slow. So that's the frame that we're looking at it in. But if we take it, if we don't look at it, if we don't look at that frame, if we look at some of the really good suggestions that Graham Samuels made, and, you know, you're talking before about who's an optimist and who's a pessimist. I'm an optimist, but I'm seriously, my disposition is being <laughs> tested by this shit because um, it, Graham Samuels says what, you know, it's, it's absolutely been a failure. So what we need to do is come together and get national environmental standards that put at the centre of the Act the ability for us to restore our environment, not just protect it, but actually start to restore some of the damage that has been done. Yeah, unfortunately, Susan Lay, the Environment Minister, has picked up on the duplication side and the slowing down side and the too much red tape side. And now, even though Graham Samuels isn't going to come back till October with the final review... Um, Minister Lay is intending on putting legislation before Parliament at the end of this month that will, they call it devolving responsibility to the state. I call it an abrogation from the Commonwealth of their responsibility. One of the things in this Act that I find so baffling is that the Environmental Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act has no mention of climate change. Surely back... No, look, you're being unfair again, Dan. It does say it mentions climate change and then says that the act shouldn't worry about it. Oh, so no good, yeah. To say that it doesn't mention it at all is, uh, you know, is being unfair. That's that's my mistake. I, I I had no idea that the Environmental Protection Biodiversity Conservation Act had anything to do with climate change. <laughs> well, they, the the proposition is that it can be that climate change can be dealt with under other instruments. There's nine triggers, and a lot of people. A lot of the submissions to the review were asking for the triggers to be expanded. So basically, if you want to do some sort of activity, like there's a water trigger, um, depending on the activity that you want to do, will trigger the need for you to go and get approval under the EPBC Act. And a lot of people wanted to expand it and to definitely include a climate trigger. And um, Graham Samuel said not so much. Susan Lee just said no. 
Will the minister be able to kind of get these reviews through quickly this year, do you think? Um, look, the legislation's got to go through the Senate. Who knows what the Senate's going to do? No idea. I couldn't... I don't know what I haven't looked at what Labor's position would be on on this. There were some changes that were tried to be put through in 2015 because you got to remember too for the 20 years that we've had this act every year we do a state or every 5 years sorry we do a state of the environment report and every 5 years the report says the same thing getting worse <laughs> getting worse. Um so yeah two words it's fucked. Oh they they copied that from last year. They copied that from 5 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Do you reckon the government are getting any of those reports on anything over the last 20 years that are, like, getting better other than just, like, old people getting more houses? Is there literally anything in Australia that's getting better apart from that? I don't know, but it's a bit worrying, isn't it? Like, when you think about it, we've had until now 28 or 29 years of uninterrupted economic growth, Mm. and during that time we've run our environment into the ground. So we don't even have like the get-out-of-jail card free that we were, you know, really broke and needed to do some bad stuff to the environment to get ahead. I mean, we were killing ourselves whilst we were one of the richest countries in the richest period in history. So God knows, unless there's some dramatic changes, what's going to happen to the environment as we, you know, go into our recession and the politicians can pull out all of the stuff about we just need to have development and create jobs and it comes back with this fundamental idea that you can negotiate with nature and Josh saw it in the fires. You can't. So one of the things that they're talking about is moving, like you said, devolving responsibility from the Commonwealth to the states. What is the risk of having the states run environmental policy for their own state? Well, look, if you did it really, really well, so going back to my optimism, it could actually be really good. If you had, if you followed the things that Samuel is suggesting, there's five things that he wants done and the first thing before that abrogation or devolution occurs. And the first thing is that everybody gets together and decides on a really solid set of national environmental standards. I think that would be fantastic. We haven't done it. It needs to be done. Then there's four other things. I won't go through them. They're basically that, you know, the states could handle it. There'd be transparency, et cetera, mm. and there'd be a review process. I don't see that happening before the end of August when the minister brings the legislation back. And I don't even see Samuels being able to do that by October when you think about everybody, you've got to get together. And unfortunately, just look, it's been done before. So when the first EPBC Act came in, Minister Hill was the Environment Minister then and Howard was the Prime Minister. And they got together and said, why don't we just get one industry and we'll exempt it from the EPBC Act? We'll just say, we'll all agree that this will be run in a really good way. Um, we'll have standards, we'll get everyone around the table and then you won't have anyone working in this industry won't have to refer back to the EPBC Act because they'll be, you know, they're, they're all good. We've worked out the structure. And that industry was logging, was native timber, <laughs> right. native forest timber industry. Right. And fast forward 20 years, there's been, you know, the forests have been devastated mm. and the industries um, are shattered, basically. The three big states for logging, Tasmania, Victoria and New South Wales, um, don't have sustainable, economically sustainable logging industries and are propped up by taxpayer funds. So we have to do something really like we've got like we've got form on this, son. You know, so unless we do something pretty dramatically different, um, we're just going to send ourselves back and not learn the lessons of history. I'd love to see the states do it. I think um, 
I think it'd be great just to see Dan Andrews getting on WhatsApp, getting some Chubb security guys to <laughs> stand in the Otways. And, uh, you know, we know, like, they could just, if they're going to fuck the trees, the trees are going to be fine, you know? Like, it's, yeah. it's protection. Well, we have our premier, premier, our premier's gut one. No one gets his name right. I always hear the other politicians, gut wine, gut ween. Anyway, yeah. gut one. Um, he he would just he'd make good decisions. Like he, the other day, I love Gutwin's front pages of the Mercury. This time, it, he was thinking we we're going to open the borders, and then he said, "No, we're not." So it just went, "Yeah, nah, have to wait." <laughs> Uh, it's interesting to see what's happening right across uh, all sorts of industries. Uh, KPMG released their 2021 Australian mining risk outlook this week and it said basically, uh, yeah, the problem is uh, we suffered a lot of climate change-related disasters when it comes to bushfires and moving forward that's going to be a major risk moving forward for us. For us. And I thought Ketan Joshi tweeted the, the best thing. He said, consequences of mining now considered major threat to mining says miners. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we've been working at the Institute on um, and the uh, emergency leaders came out today with this policy as well, but we've been doing some modelling on charging a dollar per t- export tonne for coal um, and gas to be put back into a climate disaster fund. You know, it's not a radical idea at all. It's kind of, it's the way the world works. You cause a problem you got to pay. Would that then have forced the fossil fuel industry into a into a position where they actually have to admit that climate change exists? <laughs> well, not under the EPBC Act because it's not in it. Now, Leanne, give us one reason for hope. Give us one reason uh, that that this that these reforms won't go through, or some or these. Oh, sorry, that these. Oh, I the, thought the, you the, just meant hope in general, because I was going <laughs> to say, well, for me, I'm really short, so I'm glad about that study with all people and coronavirus. Although, when you were talking, I also thought maybe it's not that just that they noticed the tall people. Because as a short person, I can tell you, I just glide through the day sometimes, and nobody notices. Well, the reason for hope is that. Fundamentally, I do believe that Australians love the, our landscape and love our environment. I actually think if we've got a national identity, it's very deeply rooted in our environment. And um, Graeme Samuels got so many submissions from so many people. He made he laboured the point that Australians love their environment and they love their iconic places. So whether it's through the EPBC Act or whether it's through just people going up and, you know, doing what they have to do to protect their patch um, and really understanding through 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 like things like the bushfires I just I guess I've got hope that we're going to save ourselves you're talking about you know. you're talking about physically protesting in places right well not just that but there's so many ways to stand up for a place that you like I mean it, it can range from people getting together and buying places mm. um, you know it can get um, it could be covenants put over things like there's a whole range of things so I guess my hope is that the EPBC Act I believe that we're going to save our home and we're going to save the environment that we live in and that the EPBC Act can come along for that journey or it cannot that's where my hope is maybe we need to offer like negative gearing on your second rainforest That's it for Rational Fear. Thank you so much, Leanne. Uh, it was uh, really interesting to chat with you. Any have you any of you got things to plug? Josh, do you want to plug anything? Yeah, I, mean, I also just want to say, I mean, Leanne, you're talking about was it Godwin? Who's a who's a difficult name? Is that uh, the name shut of up, Josh? Godwin. Uh, come on, we're talking. I'm, 
Scotland. Hang on. Our Premier's <laughs> name is Berejiklian, and Queenslanders have to put up with Palaszczuk, which has an S-Z-C-Z in it. It's all in one row. I mean, come on. Get out of here with your got one. That's right. I mean, can you imagine being a foreigner? I remember coming back from the States, uh, not knowing who Anastasia Palaszczuk was, and I was on the air, and, uh, I, and I had to read copy on the ABC, and I read P-A-L-A-S-Z-C-Z-U-K, and I was like, I'm just not going to call it the Queensland Premier. Be done with it. Uh, but yes, in terms of a, in terms of a plug, uh, Dan, uh, yeah, I've got a new podcast in addition to my work on the ABC uh, called Uncomfortable Conversations with Josh Zepps, and it's a long-form podcast where I find people uh, to have uncomfortable conversations with about the most sensitive cultural and political issues that you can't really talk about in a bullshit-free, unvarnished way on the ABC. So the first episode is out with Stan Grant, where he and I talk for two hours in very unguarded ways, uh, provocative ways about race. I assume it was about uh, lactose intolerance or something very uncomfortable like that. <laughs> no, no, ideological discomfort, Dan, not, uh, not bowel discomfort, although I know the latter okay. plagues you day and night. Uh, so, yeah, Uncomfortable Conversations with Josh Sepps on your favourite uh, podcast uh, app. Check it out. Vijarajan. Yeah, no, I uh, uncharacteristically do not have anything to plug. You know, just look out for your local Bunnings, I guess. <laughs> People can follow you on twitter.com forward slash Vidya, Vidya S. Rajan. Very funny, very funny. And Lewis, you got anything to plug? Uh, no, Dan, not really. Usual things, still on the radio. Uh, <laughs> running out of things to talk about. So if, um, if anyone has anything to talk about, please do let us know. Uh, Hobber and Hing is our show. You can find me on Instagram, Lewis Hobber. It is a, uh, a difficult year to be doing uh, 15 hours a week of lighthearted content. <laughs> Leanne, do you have any, anything to plug? No, nothing. I've got nothing. <laughs> uh, well, thanks this week to Kate Holdsworth. This show is edited and produced by Jacob Round. Next week, we have Greg Larson on the show. Until then, there's always something to be scared of. Goodbye. Goodbye.